The Gift by Leslie Wenzel. Chapter 1. The joyful sound of children laughing was the first thing he heard as the effects of an all too familiar tingling sensation dissipated around him. As the final remnants of blue and white light released him, Dr. Samuel Beckett blinked his eyes, willing his consciousness to quickly take in his new surroundings. He was standing in someone's backyard. The distant sound of seagulls and the caress of a salty ocean breeze told Sam that he was somewhere on the east coast. A trio of loud voices, two women, one man, most likely friends of the host and possibly related to some of the kids coming from behind a charcoal grill. Voices which seemed to forget that the letter R was in the alphabet confirmed Sam's suspicion. The smell of hot dogs and hamburgers was intoxicating. Behind him, a decent-sized above-ground swimming pool was vacant, but not covered. Late spring, he surmised. It was at that precise moment that he realised something was constricting his left hand. Sam turned sharply. He was holding a red-headed wooden doll with movable eyes and mouth. With his fingers, he could feel the levers that controlled their movements. Oh boy, he whispered. I'm a ventriloquist. All right, a pretty young blonde woman shouted to his right, causing Sam to almost drop the dummy. Time for the birthday girl to blow out her candles. She gestured to a beautiful pint-sized version of herself. The little girl was being bounced on the knee of an older man, about 55 to 60 years old, Sam guessed. He had curly salt and pepper hair and greyish blue eyes that should have been full of enjoyment, but instead looked haunted. Sam repressed a shudder. Next to them was a young blue-eyed boy with curly brown hair. He was playing with a red and blue robot that turned into a truck. The red-headed girl beside him was looking at nothing. Her emerald eyes suddenly fixed on Sam and momentarily held his bewildered gaze. Sam was struck by how closely the doll he was holding resembled her. Could they be related? And why did her stare seem to penetrate him to his very soul? Does she see the person I'm supposed to be? Or... Everyone? The blonde's voice interrupted Sam's thoughts. Give a nice big round of applause to... The eruption of noise cut her off before she could tell Sam his name. Typical, he thought. There were ten kids surrounding him. Sam guessed they were between six and eight years old. And though he'd have been pleased with his, well, not exactly his, performance, it was more likely that their enthusiasm could be attributed to the promise of cake. Sam smiled to himself. At least they weren't young enough to be terrified at the sight of a complete stranger's replacing whoever Sam had leapt into. Adding to his relief was the fact that he arrived at the end of the mystery person's performance. Brief flashes in Sam's Swiss cheese brain told him that the opposite scenario had occurred more times than even he would care to remember. Here you go, hon, the same pretty blonde woman said as she handed Sam a cheeseburger. Told you I'd save one for you. I had Tracy make yours the way you like them. She glanced at him in a way that made Sam wonder if they were either more than friends or she wished they were. Where are you, Al? Sam knew it would probably be some time before the holographic image of his best friend appeared to him. He also knew that the Project Observer would be positively drooling at the sight of this flaxen-haired beauty. Sam smiled and gratefully accepted the offering. Hmm, 
No tomatoes, extra onions. Wait a second. Before Sam could ponder why that seemed so familiar, a horrifying thought leaked into his silent musings. This was beginning to feel like the gentle calm before a raging storm. I've leaped into a ventriloquist at the end of his act, in front of children who no longer exist in a natural alpha state, so my arrival didn't scare the daylights out of them. And, he cast a glance skyward, you're feeding me? This was probably going to be one hell of a tough leap. Thank you for coming on such short notice, the woman said gratefully, still not using his name. I'm sure Deb is thankful too, you taking the kids with you while she's at the vet center. Deb? Sam wondered. Aloud and around a mouthful of burger, he stammered, No problem. He noticed a fairly large suitcase on the grass next to him, most likely the resting place for his act. Sam shuddered, trying not to think about his next gig. He set the dummy on top of his case and, still munching on his reward, followed the woman through the sliding glass door, which led him to the backyard into her kitchen. He briefly caught a glimpse of his reflection in the glass. A young man in his early 20s, clean cut with deep blue eyes and wavy blonde hair that was so dark it could almost be mistaken for brown. Sam suddenly felt parched. Years of quantum leaping had enhanced the natural talent he possessed for reading people. Growing up on a farm in Indiana, having to depend upon the people around him and vice versa, his instincts told him that this woman had probably known him, or the aura she perceived him to be, since childhood, and, as such, she wasn't going to offer him something to drink. The burger was a fluke. Perhaps the young man had assumed there wouldn't be any left after his performance if he didn't secure one for himself. The first time you come into my home, his mother's voice said kindly in his mind, you're a guest. After that, you're family, so help yourself. Sam opened the refrigerator and grabbed a bottle of water. He smiled again, this time with a hint of homesickness. Thankfully, the blonde broke his concentration. Deb called about an hour ago, she informed him. She should be here soon to pick you up. Deb, huh? Sam said, trying to sound casual. Repetition was one of his time-travelling fishing tools. Unfortunately, in this case, it wasn't working. His companion, still a complete stranger, was already busying herself with post-party clean-up duties. Most of the kids had left and the sun was setting. Perhaps now he could learn his own name. He quickly felt the pockets of his jeans. No wallet. Damn, he murmured. Okay, plan B. He looked around the kitchen, even poked his head into the living room, searching for a calendar or newspaper, anything to give him an idea as to what decade he was in. Still no luck. Resigned for the moment at least, Sam was just about to offer the blonde some help when... Ow! What? Sam turned sharply. Another woman's voice was addressing him. He took his shot. Oh, hey, Deb. Don't hey, Deb, me, Al. The beautiful, emerald-eyed redhead hissed. Sam surmised she was the mother of the two children, the brown-haired boy and the red-headed girl. Get your stuff and hurry up. I've got the kids and the cars running in the driveway. This was too much. In all his leaps, Sam couldn't recall a time when the person he replaced shared his best friend's name. Sam shook his head in bewildered amusement as he attempted to follow the sharp, frazzled-sounding instructions of his wife, girlfriend, sister. Al was going to have a field day with this one. Chapter 2 Despite the ever-shifting holes in his memory, 
The car ride was somewhat informative for Sam. Though the redhead's rush to leave had left him no time to catch a glimpse at her license plate, roadsides along the short trip on Route 114 had told him that the birthday party was in Riverside. As they continued on 114, Sam realised he was in Rhode Island. Sam remembered Boston. He remembered MIT. But leaping into the smallest state in the US was yet another novel experience. Stopping at one of the many traffic lights on Pawtucket Avenue, Sam noticed a huge plaza that contained a fairly large movie theatre, Patriot Cinemas. His lips moved silently as he read the names of some of the films that were playing, hoping to jog his memory. Hot Pursuit, Ishtar, The Gate, Beverly Hills Cop 2, nothing was ringing any bells. But Deb's light blue Pontiac Grand Prix, along with the makes and models of other passing vehicles, told Sam that he was in the 1980s. By the time Sam and Deb had reached their destination, it was dark. Sam noted the address on the house was 21 Cute Street, and the small town was called Pawtucket. Sam helped Deb carry her still-sleeping children into the modest, mauve-coloured New England cottage, and she put them to bed, retiring herself shortly afterwards. Another hour had passed before Sam heard, much to his utter relief, the sound he had been waiting for. Is everyone asleep? Al whispered, cautiously poking his head through the imaging chamber door. Yes. Sam's brow furrowed as he looked at his friend. What's wrong, Al? You look like a long-tailed cat in a room full of mousetrap. Sam's misquoted farm boyish expression brought a brief smile to the observer's face. It's rocking chair, Sam. His left eyebrow arched slightly as he spoke. What? Sam, it's rocking chairs, not mouse. Never mind. Rear Admiral, upper half, Albert Calavici, took a long drag on his cigar as he stepped the rest of the way through the past. He shrugged as the door closed behind him. And nothing's wrong, Sam. I just wanted to wait until you were alone. Figured you could use a break from trying to listen to me and someone else talking at the same time. Sam knew that despite Al's occasional ability to shatter glass with his tone when the situation called for it, a lifetime of pain and loss had softened his raspy timbre and probably had a great deal to do with his quirky sense of humour and endless pursuit of every possible joy that life had to offer. Most of the time, Al preferred to let his wardrobe speak volumes for him. His current outfit was no exception. Al wore a bright purple button-down silk shirt with three small triangles cut out of the collar on each side. The shirt itself was mottled with two-inch forest green triangles facing every which way. The buttons, his pants and fedora matched the green triangles perfectly. His belt and the ribbon around his fedora were the same colour purple as the shirt. Finishing off the ensemble was a silver pin. Sam could swear it was in the shape of a woman's nipple, just above the left breast pocket and silver shoes. Even Sam had to admit his friend was looking quite dapper. Sam sighed, Al, I appreciate your consideration, but you're also full of caca. I'm full of... Sam, what are you talking about? Come on, Al. I know something's bothering you. And since you're not going to tell me what it is yet, how about letting me know what I'm doing in Rhode Island? Al smiled sheepishly as he pulled the multicoloured hand link out of his left pants pocket. Hey, he said brightly, you know where you are. That's a start. It's also a first for you, Sam. Leaping into the smallest state in the country, I mean. He began tapping the link, pacing as Ziggy fed him the information. 
It's May 20, 1987. Your name, get this, is Al, Sam finished for him. What? Oh, right, sorry, Al murmured. Force of habit. Al took another slow drag on his stogie before continuing. Your full name is Albert Wolfberg, and you're a 26-year-old student at Providence College. You're currently between semesters, and you're also a ventrel. Ventrel? Ziggy, what the hell is a ventrel? Al shook the hand link, slapping it with the heel of his right hand. It squealed its habitual melodic protest. Ven- Oh, ventriloquist. That's neat, huh, Sam? The look on Sam's face indicated that he didn't quite agree with the Admiral's assessment. Al, Sam said sternly, can you please just get to why I'm here? Clearing his throat, Al continued, well, we don't know. Before Sam could interject his usual disdain for that statement, Al held both hands up defensively. I'm sorry, Sam. Ziggy's going through one of her mood swings. But she did manage to project an 85.7% probability that you're here for this kid's niece or nephew. At first, Sam was skeptical. Though it seemed likely that he would be placed in close proximity to whoever needed him to put right what once went wrong, the quantum physicist knew all too well that anything was possible. Remembering the address from the party, he snapped his fingers and pointed to his friend. Al, he said quickly. Who lived at 36 White Avenue in Riverside in 1987? Something about the way the pretty blonde looked at him told Sam she needed him. Al punched a few buttons on the hand link and waited. According to Ziggy, the house belongs to a 60-year-old electric boat retiree by the name of Robert Robinson. His daughter and granddaughter, Julie, 24, and Christina, who just turned six, live with him. Where is Christina's father? Sam asked. Al consulted the link. No data, he said. The nozzle must have skipped on Julie and her kid. His eyes narrowed in disgust. All right, Sam sighed. So what can you tell me about this family here? Well, Al tapped the hand link again as he resumed pacing. This house belongs to your sister. Her name is Deborah McCormick. She's 28. She's... Poor kid. She's a widow. And her two children are Jean and Jude. Jean is... Al hesitated. His dark brown eyes glistened sadly. She's seven years old. She's autistic, Sam. Oh, Al, Sam thought, but dared not to speak the sympathy aloud. Trudy. Sometimes he wondered why God, fate, or whatever kept throwing Al's past in his face. Still, there was much more going on with Al than just the memory of his sister. Sam was sure of it. Al cleared his throat again. He concentrated on the flashing hand link avoiding Sam's gaze as though he had heard Sam's thought. Jude is six years old. In fact, Sam, he added in a vain attempt to sound as casual as possible, you just missed their birthdays by one week. Jude was born on the 13th and Jean on the 14th. They're exactly 364 days apart. Irish twins, they call that. Al waved his right hand, his cigar resting between his thumb, forefinger and middle finger as he spoke. What happened to their father? Sam was almost afraid to ask. Their father was a pilot in the Air National Guard of the 143rd Airlift Wing in North Kingstown. His name was Captain Donald McCormack. He was... Al's already deep voice lowered even further. He and his flight crew were killed in an accident three years ago involving a C-130 Hercules.
Al closed his eyes and briefly bowed his head out of respect for a fellow pilot and his crew, fallen comrades. You have, I mean, Deborah's brother has been living with her ever since. Oh God, Sam whispered. The empathy in his voice finally forced Al to meet his gaze. Sam's green eyes narrowed. Al, what could possibly happen in this family that hasn't already? He stopped in mid-sentence. Does, does someone else die? No, Sam, no one else in the family dies. Well, what, do they lose the house or something? No, Sam, Captain McCormick's SGLI left Deborah enough money to pay off the remaining mortgage on the house. His what? Sam asked. His service member's group life insurance, Al said slowly. Long story short, it's a VA-sponsored program for the families of military members. Al, your, he sighed, Wolfberg's college tuition is even being paid for. Look, Sam, I'm going to head back and see if I can get Gushy to speed Ziggy up a bit. Just stick close to the kids and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. With that, he punched up the command to open the imaging chamber door. Out, wait, Sam called, keeping his voice quiet so as not to disturb the sleeping household. What if I have to do another, you know, gig? After everything the hologram just told him, he almost felt insensitive for asking. But there was always the possibility that he may not have a choice. Especially if that was the only way to encounter anyone in Albert Wolfberg's proximity matrix. Al temporarily delayed his escape and closed the door. Sam, he chided slightly, you're not in Vegas. This kid is working towards an engineering degree. Ventriloquism's just a hobby. It's not like you're trying out for star search. Al, Sam said persistently, I'm not a ventriloquist. Al smiled, trying to reassure his friend. Sure you are, he said gently. You should see yourself trying to talk to me when other people are around. Don't worry, if I have to, I'll help you come up with something. How? Sam, who had begun pacing as relentlessly as Al, stopped incredulously. Don't tell me you ran away from the orphanage and became a ventriloquist. Al rolled his eyes in exasperation. No, I never shadowed a ventriloquist. Pool shark? Yes. Traveling circus? Yes. Theater troupe? Al. Oh, Sam, did I ever tell you about the troop leader? She... Damn it, Al! Sam spat with a vehemence that surprised even him. If you don't have anything useful for me, why don't you just go back and help Gushy? Al said nothing. He didn't have to. Despite Sam's annoyance at Al's incessant trips down Nostalgia Lane, Sam couldn't help feeling guilty for the sharpness of his tone. Though quantum leaping into the lives of others, changing history on such a small yet significant scale felt rewarding, there were times he missed having a casual conversation with his best friend. He missed being engaged in discourse that didn't involve life or death situations. Al missed it too. Sam reached out in front of him and dropped his arms to his sides. Al, I'm sorry. Ah, forget about it, pal. It's... The handling squealed, much to Al's relief. He pulled it out of his pocket. Ziggy has an update, he said softly. Two days from now, Gene becomes completely catatonic. No one ever hears a peep out of her again. Chapter 3. It was 5am when Sam awoke from a short but much needed slumber. Yawning, he sat up in Albert's bed and stretched. Until Al returned with more information, Sam knew he was going to have to do some sleuthing on his own. 
Albert's sister, Deborah, was pretty short with him yesterday, but Sam knew it wasn't her fault. He had discovered, after rifling through some mail, that she frequently volunteered at the Warwick Veterans Centre. Sam concluded that was why Albert's niece and nephew were with him yesterday and not with their mother. Sam felt a great deal of admiration for Deb. He knew it couldn't be easy for a widowed parent with two kids, especially when one of them was autistic. He remembered leaping into the life of Jimmy LaMarta. Everyone, even Jimmy's own brother, Frank, automatically expected less of him. Maybe he was here to encourage Jean. Remembering how she stared at him yesterday, the same harrowing thought tugged at every fibre of Sam's being. What if she sees me as I really am? Ow! Sam jumped again. I've got to get used to that, he said under his breath. Deb frowned at him. What did you say? Oh, um, nothing. Listen, Debbie, Sam began, trying to sound a little less formal. Debbie, I... She walked over to him and put her head on his shoulder. Al, I'm sorry about yesterday. It's just that Jeannie's withdrawing faster every day. The only one she even looks at anymore is Chrissy. Sam hugged her as she began sobbing. A sudden sadness knifed him in the pit of his stomach. If ever he'd seen his own sister, Katie, like this. Had he ever seen Katie like this? Morning, Mum. Uncle Al. It was Jude. The young boy hugged each of them enthusiastically. Deb quickly dried her eyes and smiled at her son. Today's the day, right, Uncle Al? He asked, nearly jumping up and down with excitement. Oh, boy, thought Sam. Today's the day for what? He asked with a touch of trepidation. Jude looked puzzled and slightly hurt. Uncle Al, you promised to show me how to do ventilochism. Before he could respond, Sam heard, Go to the head, Sam. What the? Under a different set of circumstances, Sam might have been tempted to say, Of the class? The bathroom, Sam. Al's voice, still soft, but with a sense of urgency, called to him from... That was odd. Sam could hear his best friend, but he couldn't see him. Sam began to wonder if the project was experiencing technical difficulties when he saw what appeared to be smoke coming from the wall near the kitchen sink. Excuse yourself, we gotta talk. Al was hiding. He was actually hiding in the wall. Sam could feel his empathy for his best friend turning into anger. Gently releasing Deb from his brotherly embrace, Sam turned to leave the kitchen. Little brother, Deb said. Another familiar feeling tugged at Sam's Swiss cheese memory. Somehow it felt more grateful than sad. Are you okay? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. I've just got to take a... I... Excuse me for a second. Sam did as instructed and locked the bathroom door behind him. All right, Al, he hissed quietly. This is getting a little ridiculous. Don't you think... At that moment, the Admiral's image appeared right in the middle of the bathtub. Sam was fast losing his patience. In an attempt to calm himself, he thrust his right hand into the palm of his left. Ow! How many times do I have to tell you not to pop in like that? He punctuated every other word with the same gesture. Okay, okay, Sam, I'm sorry. Al walked through the tub so that he appeared to be standing next to Sam. He was dressed in the same clothes he had on the night before. Sam knew that the passage of time wasn't always the same for both of them. On the other hand, Al looked as though he was well past 24 hours with no sleep. What's going on, Al? Look, I know this is hard on you. 
I know Jean must remind you of Trudy, but you can't keep pussyfooting around this leap like a, a Seamus. Will you just talk to me, please? All right, damn it. Al shot back through his teeth. His eyes flashed momentarily in anger, then softened. Sam, I'm sorry, but this isn't about me or Trudy. Not really. It's about that innocent little girl in there. With the end of his cigar, Al pointed over his shoulder towards the children's bedroom. What if she's able to see me? Then what? I breeze into her life, get her to trust me, and then disappear forever. Sam, I can't do that to... I just don't want to break another promise. He took a drag on his cigar and looked down at his shoes. Sam understood and suddenly felt the urge to turn away from the turmoil on Al's face, but fought it. With 12 years temporarily separating them, the look in Sam's eyes was the closest thing to a hand on his friend's shoulder as he could offer. If she's in trouble, I need you to help me reach her. I need you, Al. Al sighed. That's why I'm here, Sam. I've got some information for you. Ziggy says there is a 72.6% chance that Gene is being molested. Chapter 4 Hey, Al, Deb called. What'd you do, fall in? Uh, no, Sam stammered to Deb. To Al, he said, what makes Ziggy think that? Actually, Ziggy's projection is based on a conversation with Dr. Frobina Beeks. She thinks Jean's behavior shows classic signs of... It was all Al the Observer could do to keep his voice from faltering. Sexual trauma. Fighting the urge to throw up, Sam whispered, Al, how do things like this happen in such a small community? Sam, Al said somberly, sometimes things like this happen because it's a small community. In fact, one of the most disturbing cases of abuse happened right here in Rhode Island. He was a teacher and used his position as a big brother to... Al swallowed hard. My third wife, Ruthie, her cousin's son was one of his... They're still compiling evidence against this nozzle in our time. I'd hurry up if I were you, Deb warned. You know Jean has this fascination with the bathroom. Come to think of it, she added more to herself than Sam. I've been meaning to get that lock fixed. At that precise moment, the bathroom door slowly swung open and there stood Jean. The little redhead's eyes, which never seemed to focus on anyone or anything for more than an instant, were locked on Al's holographic image. Al, Sam whispered, she can see you. Talk to her. Al shot a pleading look at Sam, then conceded. He knelt beside her. Jean, he said softly. Can you see me, honey? Her gaze never wavered, never left him. Jean, did somebody hurt you? Honey, you have to tell us so that we can stop him from ever hurting you again. You've done nothing wrong. I know this is hard for you, Jean, but you've got to tell us. Please. Jean's eyes never left Al's side as she said slowly, Chrissy. Sam's eyes were filled with sympathy and rage. My God, he whispered. She saw. Debbie, I need to borrow the car. Stay with them, Al. Chapter 5. Al, Julie said pleasantly. This is a surprise. Julie, 
Sam cut her off. Where's Chrissy? She's in the backyard with my dad. Why? Sam raced past her, a feeling of sickness and dread flooding him as he glared at the monster who stood before him. You bastard, he hissed. How could she's your granddaughter? What the hell are you talking about? Bob stammered. Turning his gaze to Julie's daughter, Sam said gently, Chrissy, I know, Jean told me, but you have to tell us so that we can stop it. It's okay, Chrissy. He can't hurt you anymore. Julie was standing next to Sam. Dad, she whispered, tears streaming down her face. He's lying, Robert screamed. Julie, honey, I would never hurt either of you. No. Julie dropped to her knees, remembering, Chrissy, she sobbed, come here, mommy. Chrissy flew into her arms. The so-called man tried to run, but Sam was on him instantly, pinning him to the ground. It took every ounce of strength he had not to beat him within an inch of his life. Oh, baby, Julie wailed, holding her daughter and stroking her hair. I'm so sorry. I forgot what he, how could I let this happen again? This is all my fault. No, Sam said quietly, his hold never faltering. It's not. He felt a small sense of satisfaction as he dug his knee harder into Robert's back. It's his. Epilogue. You okay, Sam? It was late again, and everyone in the house was asleep. Sam sat on Deb's porch, sipping a Bud Light. Al was by his side, with a freshly lit Chevalo cigar, poking at the hand link. Al, I don't get it, Sam said sorrowfully. Why couldn't I have leaped in here sooner? I should have stopped all of this before it happened. He closed his eyes and shook his head. Al wished he could put a hand on his friend's shoulder. Would you give yourself a break, he said gently. Where would any of these people be if it weren't for you? Hell, if anyone blew this one, Sam, it's me. You're wrong, Al, Sam said kindly. Al smiled. Then his eyes narrowed as he glanced at the readout on the hand link. Sam, he said, I don't understand it. Everything works out fine. That nozzle bob is still doing time in the ACI. Uh, that's the prison in Cranston, Sam. Julie and Chrissy spend a lot of years in therapy, but they're okay. In fact, Wolfberg and Julie get married six months from now and eventually have the child of their own, a boy. They named him Patrick, after Captain McCormick's father. Sam smiled as Al continued. Deborah also gets married a couple of years from now to a great guy. He's really good to her and the kids. And he even helps Jean to come out of her shell a bit more. A particular sparkle danced in Al's eyes as he relayed that part of the update. Oh, and get this. You, uh, Wolfberg, transfers his college credits to MIT and gets his engineering degree and becomes a civilian contractor. He builds a memorial to the crew that was lost and plays a huge role in the construction that's still going on at the 143rd. So, pocketing the now silent link, he shrugged his shoulders as his voice trailed off. Sam glanced at him in mid-sweep. So why haven't I leaked? He finished the question for him. Yeah, Al replied around the cigar that was back in his mouth. A broad smile lit Sam's face as he recalled Al's earlier attempt to reminisce. This was time's gift to both of them. Tell me something, Al. As he spoke, Sam pointed to the mouth of the beer bottle at his friend. How old were you when you started following that theatre troupe around? 
Al pulled the cigar from his lips so suddenly he nearly dropped it. Recovering quickly, yet still in shock, his wide-eyed stare met Sam's earnest gaze. Are you actually asking me? Thanks, pal, Al's expression said. He swallowed, replying, Uh, I was nine. Oh, and Sam, you should have seen this troop leader. With both hands, Al playfully traced the fond memory of her figure in the air. Her name was Shirley Grayson, and she had the most amazing stage presence. Jeez, Al, Sam chided facetiously. Was there ever a time in your life when you weren't interested in women? Al opened his mouth to answer him, but paused, looking contemplative. Probably, but I'm not sure. Sam's expression turned quizzical, and Al smiled devilishly. Hey! Not for nothing, he said, letting his Italian heritage go full steam ahead. My memory's pretty good, Sam, but even I can't remember back as far as conception. Sam threw his head back, laughing quietly yet earnestly. Al hoped that Sam's Swiss cheese mind would allow him to remember what he'd just done for him. You know something, pal? He said with a wink. I think we're going to have to add psychiatry to your list of doctorates after all. Sam was still laughing when he leaped. The end. Again, that was The Gift by Leslie Wenzel. Thank you, Leslie, for participating in our original fan fiction competition. We really enjoyed this one. There'll be a small prize on the way to you now, and you're in the draw to win one of the signed copies of Foreknowledge by our fellow crew member, Krista Philippus. Calling all writers. Do you have an original Quantum Leap story that you want to share with fellow leapers? Well, now's your chance. Announcing the Quantum Leap Podcast's Short Fiction Contest. I don't control my future. You do. You heard it from Sam himself. Help Dr. Beckett leap from life to life, trying to put right what once went wrong. We're looking for your original Quantum Leap adventures about Sam, Al, Ziggy, Gushy, Donna, Beth, Leapers, Leapies, anyone or anything, as long as it's set in the established Quantum Leap universe. Here are some ground rules. We're looking for original stories that haven't appeared anywhere in print or online. Keep it to 5,000 words or less. We're not looking for your unpublished novel here. Email submissions to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. And you can go to the Quantum Leap Podcast website for more details. The first eight participants will get a small prize. And the top three entries, as judged by the Quantum Leap Podcast team, will receive an autographed copy of my Quantum Leap novel, Foreknowledge. Winning stories will be read on the podcast. So what are you waiting for? Hop into the accelerator chamber and make the leap. Enter the Quantum Leap Podcast Short Fiction Contest now.